Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious God, continually draw near to us that we might know you, that we might rejoice in the great and glorious blessings that you have bestowed upon us in Christ Jesus. Always remind us that all that you give is in Jesus himself and that what you give us is Jesus. For all of your graces and your blessings flow to us through him. And it is of your goodness and compassion and mercy that these come to us for the sake of Jesus. Remind us and renew us and receive us continually for his sake. That you might receive the glory and the honor in all that we do. These things we do ask through that same Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All of us are set within a narrative. We all have a story that pertains to our lives. We each grow up in a community that affects who we are. We each have family members who affect who we are. We each have a story, but that story, my individual story, is part of the story of the Callhorn and Smith family, which is part of the story of the Lee family, which is part of the story of the McConkies and many other families there in Monroe County in Tennessee. My story connects and loops into so many other stories, and everything I do has ripples that touch other people's lives who have touched me. And thus, our lives are all part of a greater story. The greater story of our friends and families, the greater story of our community and our counties and our states and our countries, a greater story of the place that we find ourselves in in this moment of history. But that greater story then is plugged into and a part of the greatest story. Each event in my life is part of my story. But zooming out, it's all part of something else, just as it is for you. And it all eventually plugs into that greater and bigger story. It all connects together, revealing God's story of redemption in my life, in your life, in my children's and in my parents' lives, in my grandparents' and my great-grandchildren's lives. That story of redemption being poured out and revealed more and more and more in Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul is doing for us here in Ephesians. What he is doing for these saints at Ephesus. He is grounding them in a story, in the greatest story. The work of the Father in Jesus by the power of the Spirit. That is the story that he is grounding them in. A story that extends all the way back to creation itself. That extends to the fall as Adam and Eve fell. And God gave that first promise that through the seed of the woman... The serpent's head would be crushed, though he would wound that seed's foot. The story expanded from there to include all of Israel, to go from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to their children's 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 children's, to the whole nation, and then to be revealed in a king named David and his son Solomon, the glorious graces of God. But then they go into exile. And there in Babylon, they come to renew their hearts and their minds by the power of the Spirit as they reflect and they recognize their idolatry. And they begin working and understanding and having a deeper faith and eventually return to the land and rebuild the temple. And there is where they are now in the first century as Paul goes out from there knowing of Jesus and spreading who Jesus is. 
and converting Jews in various cities and converting Gentiles in these same cities. Paul's narrative is a part of a greater narrative. And that narrative is the redemption that God is accomplishing and has promised that He would accomplish in Christ Jesus Himself. And that's what this first chapter does. It sets us into that reality of, what, of God's working in the world and in us. And so this is a story of all reality, the mystery and plan of God. And that plan and that mystery are full of blessing and inheritance and renewal. This chapter sets that stage for the entire book of Ephesians. He lays the groundwork here of all that God is doing and how He is working in us and what He is calling us to do in our renewal. For God is pouring out Himself in Jesus to bring us to the renewal in which Jesus Himself unites all things in heaven and on earth. And so with that, we begin there at the beginning of this book with a story of blessings. Paul, of course, greets his readers in the usual fashion that he does in all of his writings. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He grounds all of his letter in his being an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and to the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul has responded to the call of Christ and the will of God to be an apostle. And likewise, the saints in Ephesus have responded and are faithful in Christ Jesus. They heard the word from Paul and they turned and became faithful saints, faithful holy ones, not in and of themselves, but in and grounded in Christ. And then Paul gives his usual greeting and blessing here. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we have to realize is even though this is more or less a typical greeting from Paul, nothing that St. Paul writes is really that typical. There's an importance in all of his words. John Stott says of this greeting that grace and peace are particularly appropriate at the beginning of Ephesians. Grace, indicating God's free saving initiative, and peace, what he has taken the initiative to do, namely to reconcile sinners to himself and to each other in his new community. And so Paul lays the groundwork here in these first two verses in this short and terse greeting. Grace to you and peace from God. Grace, God's working in you. Peace, God bringing out what He has done. God took the initiative to save you and now that peace is His taking the initiative. His working, His bringing you into His relation. Bringing you to Himself. And knowing that, Paul swings into this great and glorious blessing. So great and glorious that these next 11 verses, 3 through 14, in the Greek are one long sentence. Paul is breathless in his description of his blessing to God the Father. He says in verse 3 in this story of blessings that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And where you see a period in many translations, there's not one in the Greek. He just keeps going. 
that we should be holy and blameless in him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, etc. It just goes. There's no stopping Paul. He just is rolling away with this great blessing that God has given to us in Christ Jesus. And Paul's response to thinking about this blessing is to turn and praise and bless God the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, who has chosen us in Him, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He predestined us for adoption to Himself through Jesus Christ to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, through His blood, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses, which He lavished upon us, making known to us the mystery of His will according to this, His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan of the, for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. There are two themes running through this passage. It is that God has blessed us with so much. He has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And that it is all in Christ, through Christ, before Christ. The numbers are different depending on which commentary you look at. But that phrase, in Christ or in Him or before Him or through Him, occurs something like 11 to 15 times in these first few verses of this book. Paul is focused on what God has done for us in Christ and that it is a story of blessing. A story of blessing that begins, as Paul says, before the foundation of the world. That in Christ, Paul has, in Christ, God the Father is working for our salvation. So much so that before the foundation of the world, those who have believed He has chosen He is elected and predestined to be adopted through Christ. In both of those places, we get so caught up in those words, choice, election, predestination. But the purpose here is much the same as what our Article 17 says. That concept of predestination and election is a comfort to those who believe. It's something we can't grasp or understand or dig deeply into to try to talk about what God did before He created all things and began revealing Himself to our puny, finite minds. But nonetheless, those of us who are baptized and have believed, in some sense, have been chosen before the foundation of the world. He has called us out of this world into Himself and adopted us in Christ. His choice of us was in Jesus. And His adoption of us is in Jesus. His redemption of us is in Jesus. His forgiveness of our sins is in Jesus. The Father does nothing apart from who Christ is and what Christ has done in this story of blessings. It is all being poured out upon us in Christ by the Father through the work of the Spirit. Which you may ask, where is the Holy Spirit in all of this? Most commentators see in that phrase there in verse 3 when it says, That God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That that is an oblique reference to the Holy Spirit. That is because every spiritual blessing that we receive is by the power of the Spirit Himself working in us. And that it is poured down from us and upon us, poured down upon us from heaven itself, from the abode and 
home of God. The blessings of the Spirit descend from where God is. Here in these first verses through verse 10. And that is the story of blessings that He has lavished upon us. He has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which is to unite all things in Christ, both heaven and earth. That glorious picture that we see at the end of Revelation of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven and resting upon earth, that is a picture of heaven and earth coming together as one reality, not no longer being divided, no longer being distinct, but being merged together, slammed together, as the Father and the Son become those who dwell upon earth in their people. As St. John will go on to say in that passage, there is no sun or moon for the Father and the Son is the light of His people. God comes to dwell fully and completely with His people and that is the plan for the fullness of time. That when Christ returns, all things will truly and finally and completely be united in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. And that is the greatest blessing that we are looking toward. That union of all things, that union of our souls after we die, being reunited with a glorified body just as Jesus has a glorified body. And us dwelling before the face of Jesus and the face of the Father, with the Spirit dwelling and uniting us to the Father and to one another, that we will be made one in Christ and made one with all things as Christ works in us and binds us all together. And from that story of blessings there, Paul moves in verse 11 through 14 to talk about an inheritance. And he begins telling the story of an inheritance within that greater story of blessings. And here he narrows his perspective down when he says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance. That is, we the Jews. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to His counsel of His will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. And then he shifts, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Again, Paul keeps coming back to this, In Christ, in Him, our hope is in Christ, our inheritance is in Christ both for the Jews and the Gentiles. This is the reality that the, Jews, the Jewish story has been looking toward from the beginning for the Messiah to come. Wrapped up in that story of the Jews going into exile and returning. Looking toward the coming of their King to restore all things. To bring about the goodness and the greatness of God's mercy and love for His people. Jesus Himself is the inheritance to be made one with Jesus, to be united and caught up in Him and with Him. And it is all according to God's will, according to the counsel of His will, to bring this all together. That the Jews who have hoped in Christ first would be to the praise of God's glory. But then also, not just the Jews get to participate in this inheritance. Going all the way back to Abraham, where he says that in you, All the peoples of the earth shall be blessed. In your seed shall all the peoples be blessed. In you also, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Not only did the Jewish people get to receive the Holy Spirit, 
and be changed and renewed, but the Gentiles too, as they come to faith, as they are baptized and sealed with the Holy Spirit, they are drawn near and called into this inheritance. And the Holy Spirit Himself being the very guarantee to have received the Holy Spirit and to live in the Holy Spirit is to have the guarantee, the thing that promises that God will work and fulfill His work in you. The Spirit Himself is the down payment toward that greater inheritance of complete and total renewal, of the changing of all things, of the renewal of creation itself, the renewal of ourselves inwardly and outwardly. As God works out this story of inheritance in the here and now, the story of blessings and the story of inheritance are happening right now in our lives. Yes, God planned it, but then He brought Christ into this world to begin working it out in real time, you might say. And He pours out His Spirit to guarantee us to be a down payment of that final and perfect inheritance in Christ when all things come together, when this real-time working out of redemption is brought to its completion and consummation. And there we look with eyes toward that renewal, which leads Paul now in verses 15 through 23 to speak of the story of renewal. And it's crafted in this beautiful prayer that while these first 14 verses are geared so much toward blessing God, praising God, he shifts to a prayer for the Ephesians to look toward that story of renewal. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might? And I'm stopping right there for a moment because Paul just keeps going. Like you start reading these verses and you just can't stop because of the joy that you can hear in Paul's words as he draws us near and near into the reality of this great renewal. Paul gives thanks continually remembering the Ephesians because God has worked in them and He prays that they would continue to more and more receive the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Jesus. That their eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. That they would receive wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ and that their eye, the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened and opened. That light would be poured into them. Paul is thanking God for the work He is doing and prays that God will continue His great and glorious work of renewal in them so that as their knowledge and their wisdom in Christ increases, as the eyes of their hearts are open and enlightened more and more, that the Ephesians would then be moved to know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might? Paul desires for the Ephesians and for us reading this letter to know the hope that we have been called to. That is, renewal in Christ. Not just spiritually, but physically. 
that we will be resurrected and that our hope lies with that. No matter the circumstances we find ourselves in, we continually look forward and look to Christ crucified and raised and ascended, knowing that he was raised physically and has ascended physically into heaven, which means that our bodies matter and that we can look forward to the brokenness being stripped away, to all sin being purified and taken away from us, us being refined completely. That is the hope that we look toward of God working in us removing sin little by little in the here and now, looking toward that end date, that end goal when all sin is purged from reality, our hope to which He has called us. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? That is, that God and that Jesus in some sense have an inheritance in their own people. That as they have made us, made the Ephesians their own people, called them into this salvation and giving them given them the Spirit that all that they do is an inheritance before the Father, is an inheritance in some sense that is received by the Father because the Spirit is purifying all the work of us saints. The Spirit lifts up what we have done into Jesus and Jesus makes it right before the Father. That we are being sanctified, we are being changed. As Paul said earlier in this chapter, we are being made holy and blameless before the Father in Christ. We are being changed and lifted up. And finally, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? That we would know that God is working in us by His Spirit in a great and glorious way. That even when we stumble and fall, even when we give way to despair and sin, there is an immeasurable greatness of God's power working in us who believe. Renewing us. Redeeming us. Recalling us back to the Father. Through the Son, by the Spirit. God is at work in us because He has given us His Spirit to be the guarantee of our final and complete inheritance of renewal. And all of that is according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ. This, in measure, this story of renewal now turns from us, of God renewing us, to what He did in Christ to create this renewal of all things. God's might was working in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in glory, at the right hand in the heavenly places. God raised Jesus from the dead physically and then seated Him in the heavenly places at His right hand. That is, Paul here is immediately looking toward the ascension of, God, of Jesus physically being raised up into heaven and sitting down at the right hand of the Father. That He, Jesus, is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Jesus is above all things. He is waiting for all things to be put under His feet for all who are against Him to be conquered by the power of God, by the renewal of all things. And thus He rules over all his name is above every name in this age and the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And there we see this renewal coming to this glorious picture of all things being put under Christ's feet by the Father. That as His name is above all names, all things must therefore be placed under His feet. And this one who rules over all things has been given as a head, as our Savior, as our ruler, 
to the church, which is his body. So you might think of the ruler as being someone scary, someone to not trifle with, someone to not bother. But Paul creates an organic unity with these words that is Christ is the head given to the church. The church is Christ's body here on earth. The head is connected to the body, is united to the body. And thus the head dwells with the body and in the body. And that our us being the body of Christ is the, in some sense the fullness of Him who fills all in all. This is the story of renewal of Christ as head being given to His body, the church, and Him filling us, not as individuals per se, but as His people. That it's not just so much me as an individual is united to Christ, but I am united to the church in order that I might be more fully united to Christ Himself and receive more fully His renewal as part of the body in order that I would be part of the wounds that He fills. That we at Grace Anglican are a singular body that's part of the greater body. We are a piece of that singular body that is the worldwide universal church. And Christ is our head, but we are His body. We are connected and united organically and truthfully to Him. We are bound up with Him by the Spirit He has given us. We are bound up to Him in the baptism that He unites Himself to us through and calls us into faith to walk before Him in faithfulness, to receive the working of the Spirit, to receive the working of redemption, to receive this being brought into the church, into His body, to rest in the reality of God's promises given to the church and to us as the church who are His body. The story of blessings of inheritance and renewal is all in Christ by the Father in order that we would trust the Father, in order that we would trust and receive this renewal, this blessing and this inheritance. It is only in Christ that this happens. It is by Christ that it is accomplished and it is planned by the Father and worked by the Spirit in us. And all of this is to cause us to step back in awe. To step back and just receive what God has done. To rest in Jesus alone and to be changed, to be renewed, to be sent out then afterwards after we rest and rejoice. This first chapter of Ephesians sets up so many things for us here in the whole book, in this whole letter. And there's so much that could be unpacked out of these verses. I've seen people spend weeks and weeks and weeks unpacking all of these verses, and here I'm doing it in less than 30 minutes, giving you just the 30,000 or 50,000 foot overview that God is blessing us with an inheritance of renewal. And that is a joy for us to rest in. So that this day as we come forward to receive the Eucharist, to receive through this bread and wine the body and blood of Christ Himself, that we'll see this story of blessings, of inheritance and of renewal occurring in, even in that mill. That Jesus is giving Himself to us, His people, in faith, calling us to faith and to be faithful and renewing us and changing us continually. That is the story we live in, one of redemption and renewal always and forever. And it is because the Father desires it and it is accomplished by Christ and worked in us by the Spirit. And so rest, my people, rest, O people of God, in what Christ has done for you and receive from Him the riches of your inheritance. 
Receive from Him the hope that He has called you to and receive from Him the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.